Greetings, Mavuno family. Wow, it's such an honor today to be bringing God's Word to you for our visitors. Uh, if you have not been here, we've been going through a series uh, called Relationships, How to Avoid Sabotaging Your Relationships. And you know, we've been saying all along, this series is for you, regardless of what your marital status, relationship status is, because I believe that there's something important for every single one of us to learn. And we've looked at several different things right now. We've looked at several lists. Uh, we talked about five common mistakes that people make when looking for a married partner. And I hope that was of help to somebody. Uh, we also talked about, uh, last week, we talked about five terrible reasons to get married and three really good ones. And I pray that this has been a blessing to you, to your relationship. Today we want to conclude our series and next week we're going to be starting a whole brand new series. We're going to be looking at some really important things. It's going to be called For God and Country and you want to be there. It's going to be just important things we must understand as citizens of the nations God has called us to. But for today, the title of my message, uh, the final message of this series is The Biggest Mistake that many dating couples are making today. So I've been giving you lists of five, three, but today I'm giving you just like one. It's like the one biggest mistake that many dating couples are making today. And I'll be sharing a few thoughts from my book, Finders Keepers. Uh, so if you've got a copy of that, I, I really want to recommend it for those of you who are thinking about entering dating relationships. It's called Finders Keepers. And I, I tell you, it's going to be very useful, especially if you're, if you're dating, to read that with the person uh, that you're walking this journey with. But for now, I want to ask you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6 to 20. Uh, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6 to 20. This is a, a, a passage that King Solomon wrote 3,000 years ago, but it's all so relevant to our culture today. Proverbs 7, verse 6 to, 20, to 23. And it's, here's what it says. As I stood at the window of my house, looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by, I spotted a young man without any sense. Arriving at the corner of the street where she lived, then turning up the path to her house, it was dusk, the evening coming on, the darkness thickening into night. Just then, a woman met him. She'd been lying in wait for him, dressed to seduce him. Brazen and brushed she was, restless and roaming, never at home, walking the streets, loitering in the mall, hanging out in every corner in town. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. Boldly she took his arm and said, I've got all the makings for a feast. Today I made my offerings. My vows are all paid. So now I've come to find you, hoping to catch sight of your face. And here you are. I've spread fresh clean sheets of my bed, colorful imported linens. My bed is aromatic with spices and exotic fragrances. Come, let's make love all night. Spend the night in ecstatic lovemaking. My husband's not home. He's away on business and he won't be back for a month. <laughs> you know, in our story... King Solomon's looking down his balcony at the street level and he sees what he calls the mindless crowd. <laughs> now, what is a mindless crowd? The dictionary describes the word mindless as acting without justification and with no concern for the consequences. So just acting, you know, you don't even care what's going to happen. That's being mindless. And there's a whole crowd of mindless people. This is a crowd that follows what everybody else is doing. If others are doing it, then I must do it. If the influencers say it's okay, then it must be okay. If everybody on social media has it, then I have to get it. Uh, this is a mindless crowd. <laughs> and then even in the 
mindless crowd, he identifies one who is so, so mindless, like he's extra mindless. And he calls this guy a young man without sense. <laughs> like among mindless people, this one is seriously mindless. <laughs> and he calls him a young man without sense. Now, why does he call him this? Because he can see that this guy is loitering with some intent. This guy is on his way to make a hookup. He's looking to make a booty call. He's making to see where this thing will end up. He's looking for someone to have some casual sex with and have no consequences. Thinking about no consequences after. So, you know, the thing about this is, as you look at this passage, you're going to realize... When it comes to sex and dating, our generation has become a mindless crowd. <laughs> I mean, men and women without sense. Even among Christians today, sleeping together has become so normalized that people think you must be from the Middle Ages if you suggest that there's something wrong with it. <laughs> By the way, 80 to 85% of couples who are signing up today for premarital counseling courses in different churches, I mean, they're sleeping, already and they're sleeping together already and cohabiting, and many are mortally offended when their pastors ask them if they would move out and wait until after the wedding. I mean, it's like, how dare you tell me what to do? It's my life! What business does a church have to, tell, to do telling me how to spend my sex life, who to spend with, where to sleep, uh, spend my nights? You know, it's clear that we as a generation, we've bought into several lies about sex. And I want to just share three very simple ones, three that I think you're going to hear and you're going to say, yes, I, I get it, I've heard that one, or I've experienced that, or maybe I've even thought that. And so the first lie, lie number one, sex will truly help me to know the other person. Now, conventional wisdom today, it states that the only way to check out somebody, whether you're compatible with somebody, is through having sex with them. I mean, if you're good in bed together, then, I mean, then of course you have what it takes to, uh, to stay together. And I mean, you don't want to be stuck the rest of your life with somebody whom you cannot be sexually fulfilled with. You know what I'm talking about? You have to try before you buy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the logic in our, in our culture today. But let me say this, this is a hugely damaging lie. The reality is this, that other than helping you know the other person, actually what sex does, sex before marriage does, it kills your ability to know the other person. It's so, it's so paradoxical, it's the opposite effect from what you're looking for. Once you have sex while you're dating, it's very hard to grow in other areas of your relationship. Things, it, it's, it's, like, it's like having a dessert. You know, if you've ever gone to a nice restaurant and you have the, the cake, the ice cream, the sweets before, uh, there's, a, there's a dessert that I like uh, when, I, when I fall. <laughs> Once in a while I stumble. It's called salted caramel cake. Let me tell you, that thing, you eat it, it just burns. You cannot taste anything else after that. It's just gone. And that's what dessert does. You have dessert before the meal, you can't enjoy the rest of the meal. You know, after you've had sex, you lose taste for things like growing in communication, understanding your family backgrounds, figuring out how to manage money together, learning how to resolve conflicts. All these other things fly out of the window. You can no longer taste them. You lose the taste for the things that really count. You know, premarital act sex, it closes your eyes to things that really matter, things that you lose taste for. I mean, the crazy thing is the things you're losing taste for are the things that you really need to build trust in your relationship. And so the ultimate irony is that you thought that you're building trust by sleeping with a person, but you're destroying it. In fact, isn't it crazy that in our culture, uh, trust is the name of a condom brand? I mean, it's crazy. It's, have you ever thought about that? It's like the one product that ultimately represents the mistrust in our relationships is the one that we call trust. It's just so warped, the mindless crowd that we've become. 
that without real trust, your relationship is doomed. This is what we're, we don't understand. When you, we don't have, when you don't build a real trust, your relationship will be doomed right from the start to forever remain shallow and physical. So you wondered why when you had sex with this person, they lost interest. And there was nothing else that was left. For many couples, you know, sex is the only glue. <laughs> and when that chemistry, that high wears off, somebody's sick, somebody's not able to, to perform sexually in bed anymore, boredom eventually sets in, inevitably sets in, because there's nothing else that holds that couple together. What am I saying? I'm saying that false intimacy de destroys real intimacy. And, and there's a false intimacy that is created by premarital sex, but it actually is going to destroy real intimacy in your relationship. So that's lie number one, that it's going to help me really get to know this other person. But lie number two is sex is an uncontrollable natural impulse. I don't know if you've heard that one. Uh, this is just so common in our culture. Uh, many people see sex as just a natural appetite. Everybody needs to fulfill it. You know what? When you're thirsty, you drink, <laughs> isn't it? When you're hungry, you eat. When you have an itch, you scratch. And when you feel that need, that, feel, that feeling, then you just fulfill the feeling. <laughs> you go to bed and you get it out of your system. You know, today's younger generation, they don't, we don't even know the difference. We don't even know how to have the conversation with the opposite sex that is not laden with sexual innuendo. You know, people just today, they just meet together, they, they connect on Instagram, or they swipe right on, on Tinder. The next day they're meeting, uh, next few days they're meeting for their first date. After that, they have sex. And, and that's when they start to get to know who the other person is. I mean, it's like you start with, you, you go straight to sex, and then after that is when you want to know who the person is. And things are, are so bad nowadays, I even hear people say, let's, that, that this is one of the, the lines people give each other, let's stop pretending, we know what we want. Let's just have sex, get the pressure out of the way, and then we can really get to know each other. I mean, this is, this is where our culture has gone into. This is, this is the depths that our culture has plunged into. You know, the, the message that Hollywood is feeding our, our mindless generation is if you're not having sex with someone, then there's something wrong with you. I don't know if you've heard that. I mean, some, some experts have even gone as far as to say, and I've read this, uh, that, with, that without some form of sexual involvement, that there will be some damaging effect on your life. <laughs> you know, it's like when you finally have sex with somebody, uh, if you've not been having sex ever, the lady might feel like she, she's just being violated. It's like she's never practiced. So she just feels like it's just, a, it's just a mess. So she needs to practice so she's ready when she gets married. Or the guy may not be able to get his apparatus working. Am I talking to somebody in the house? It's like I may not be able to get things working because I never practiced. This is a lie that we're being told. In fact, the, the, this twisted thinking tells us that by the way, and this is even being promulgated by highly trained psychologists. It's so unfortunate. You're going to read articles like this on the internet, and people telling you that things like masturbation are just a healthy form of release. Pornography is just a tasteful art form. Friends with benefits, uh, chips, chips funga, what do you call it in your culture? Whatever you call it, it's just following your natural instincts. This is what we're being lied to today. Now, of course, this worldview would be correct if you believe that human beings are merely evolved monkeys. If you really believe that humans are just a, 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 a higher art, a form of animal life, then of course, this is a natural instinct that just animals are born and they just, they're born to procreate. But you know what? The reality is that you're made in God's image. That's what the Bible tells you. And that God gave you your instincts to master you, not to control you. That's the difference between you and animals. Uh, you're, you're, you're created to rule and to have dominion. 
And many people have, have found out too late that sex can actually master you and become a terrible, terrible. It can be worse than the worst drug. It can be as bad as cocaine. A huge number, percent of young people today, men, and, and even some women, are addicted to porn, to masturbation, to sex. And this is not, it's, not, it's, not, it's nothing glamorous. It's, it's slavery. It actually is slavery. When you meet somebody who's addicted, they know it. They know it's slavery. They indulge in it, but they know it has held on to them. It's as bad as being a drug addict. And you see, the crazy thing is, God created sex. We've talked about this. It was his gift, a wonderful gift, when used within his boundaries, within the confines of marriage. But just like fire, if you take it out of the fireplace, it will burn the whole house down. It stops being a beautiful thing and it becomes a destructive force. And many people are finding out that sex has become a destructive force that is keeping them from achieving their purpose today. Listen, God's people, false intimacy destroys real intimacy. Line number three. I want to move along to, to line number three. And this line number three, again, is a very common one. I hear this one uh, even among Christian couples. Sex is okay as long as you're truly in love and committed to one another. I mean, listen, we're going to get married anyway. I mean, we've planned. We've even engaged. Our families know what could possibly be wrong. We're two consenting adults committed to each other. We're making choices about, we're just starting early, but we're getting there. Surely this hurts no one. I mean, this is the 21st century, guys. Come on, let's get real. I've heard people say even the bills will be easier. Why rent two houses when we can just rent one? You know, the problem with this thinking, it's very expressed in our passage uh, in verse, 20, verse 19 and 20, the same Proverbs that we are reading. Because this woman told the young man, my husband's not home. He's away on business. He won't be back for a month. I want you to notice something about this passage. That this woman that this young man was going to hook up with was actually somebody else's wife. She belonged to somebody else. You see, before you formalized a relationship with your, with your marriage partner, with your spouse, the person you're attracted to is not yours. They belong to someone else. They're someone else's daughter. They're someone else's wife. They're someone else's husband. There are no guarantees, regardless of how you feel right now, that you'll actually not end up breaking up. And if you do, you won't be the first ones to break up. I mean, people have, many people before you have done it, there's nothing special. <laughs> you're, not a spe you're not so special that nothing can happen to your relationship. And at the point that you do, guess what's going to happen? You'll end up with other different people, and the results can be catastrophic. Because you're going to find, and I hear this all the time from a counselor's couch, women who can't have their husbands touch them in certain ways because it reminds them too much of the past and what somebody else used to do to them. Uh, men who can't have sex without comparing their partner with somebody else that they have in their sexual history. Women who can't have children because of damage from abortions and sexually transmitted disease. Couples who are insecure because of their partner's past. That when he's sleeping with his wife, he's always thinking, do I compare well with her ex? You know, in our class, our marriage preparation class, we encourage all couples to come clean with each other about their sexual past. And this is because we believe you have to build a relationship on the basis of truth. <laughs> you don't want to live the rest of your life looking over your shoulder and fearing what your spouse might find out or what what, what's going to be found out about you. You want to make sure your spouse and you are together. You're in the truth together. And you know, let me just say this. For many couples, this is a very traumatic time. Yes, you love the person. Yes, you're perfect for them and or you think they're perfect for you. But you're not sure they'll still want you after they hear that you're, they're your, your third your, your 15th, your 30th sexual experience. They might not be interested anymore. And so you, f you find couples faced with a terrible choice. 
Do I tell them and face the risk of having an insecure relationship, maybe even being booted, being, being kicked out of that relationship? Or do I not tell them and then start my relationship on a foundation of deceit and secrecy? I mean, this is, a, this is a choice that all the time I find couples being faced with. And for those of you who, are, who have not yet put yourself in that situation, why would you want to do this to yourself? Why would you want false intimacy to destroy your opportunity for the thing you're really looking for, which is real intimacy? Now, these are the lies. I, I, I hope as you hear them, you can tell how terrible they are. These are the terrible lies that the enemy has used to destroy our generation. Now, here's the truth that we're going to talk about because Solomon keeps going and talks about the truth. As the young man allows these animal instincts to take over, <laughs> as he just allows himself to go with this woman, verse 21 tells us, soon she has him eating out of her hand, bewitched by her honeyed speech. Before you know it, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop. <laughs> this is the Bible, guys. It's not me making this up. Like a stag lured into an ambush and then shot with an arrow, like a bird flying into a net, not knowing that its flying life is over. I mean, this old man is looking sadly at this young man, the young man without the mindless young man among the mindless crowd. And he's looking at him and saying, this young man, is a, he's just walking to his death. He's walking to his death. You see, sex outside marriage, it leads to, to death in at least five ways. <laughs> death number one is the death of innocence. You no, you no longer be able to relate to members of the opposite sex without ulterior motives. This is what happens when you get into that kind of, of, of engagement. Uh, and if it's, if for those of you who are married, death of innocence, because now you no longer can actually look at your spouse without knowing there's a guilty secret behind you. Number two, death of intimacy. There's nothing exclusive about the sexual relationship you're having with your partner. And intimacy is destroyed. Something comes in between your relationship, either before you're married or even while you're married. Number three is death of trust. Because after all, if you could not be trusted to control your sexual desires for me before we got married, what guarantees do I have that you'll control them after we're married and you're off on a long business trip? I mean, that always comes up when people are already married. And if you have a, and, and for those of you who've had an affair uh, in your marriage, you know that there's, that's a huge risk. Once that trust is gone, it's much harder to regain it back. Number four, death of your moral authority. How will you be able to teach your children how they should grow? If you yourself have no authority to talk about it. King David, uh, uh, his son Amnon raped his, his half-sister. And David was angry, but he did nothing. Why? Because probably he himself had slept with someone else's wife. He had no moral authority to correct his own son. Why would you want to destroy, to kill your moral authority? And then number five, the fifth death that sex outside the boundaries of marriage brings is death of choice. Uh, sex, like I said, is a powerful force. It can take over and become compulsive. And when you become a porn addict, a masturbation addict, a sex addict, you find you're no longer in control of your action. And I know, many, I know, I know, I know married people who find that they are not in control anymore. The person is, he wants to be faithful. He wants to live well with his wife, but he can't. Something has gotten him in its grip because false intimacy destroys real intimacy. So, so what's the good news? I mean, this is, this, I know this is a grim message. <laughs> And I think it's a message for our generation. The good news is that sex is a wonderful gift given by God to be enjoyed within your marriage relationship. Uh, um, you know, I remember one, one mentor couple when Pastor Cara and I were dating many years ago, and they told us a very interesting thing. They told us that sex is like a fine wine. 
that when you enjoy it in the right finds, when you, when you look after it well, that it only grows better as you grow older. And let me just say this, I was in shock. I didn't believe them. <laughs> I thought, my goodness, when you're growing old, these guys were old by the time they were telling us this, at least in our eyes. And I thought, how would old people like you know about sex? You know, it's like your, your machines are almost failing. You know, your bodies are hardly functioning. You don't have energy. You know, you need to have energy to really enjoy this thing. That's what my young mind thought. But I began to realize something as I grew older. <laughs> you know, the way it works is that in marriage, as your trust grows, that's only, that, it's only as your trust, your unbridled trust grows with the other person that you're able to abandon yourself fully to them. And here's what happens. As you do that, then sex becomes real intimacy. It becomes what the Bible says. The man and his woman were naked and not ashamed. You can give yourself to your spouse fully without any inhibitions. And you know what? I can tell you that we have been married. My wife and I have been married 28 years now. I can testify that our mentor couple was right. Okay, somebody's going to get that next year. They were right. Let me just tell you, you have no clue for those of you who are young and just wondering. You think you know everything just because you've got strong bodies. <laughs> you have no idea that sex, when it's just a physical act, is shallow. It's just purely physical pleasure. It's nothing compared to the intimacy that God prepared, prepared a, a married couple to enjoy in their marriage. And so here's the thing. I mean, and many couples, it's, they don't understand. It's like you're stuck in standard one. Because it's like your marriage is just at that physical level. You're just stuck there and you've robbed yourself of the opportunity to really grow in the intimacy that God created you for. False intimacy destroys real intimacy. Now, I want to just, you know what, as I, I, I wanted to draw a picture of this because it's such a huge issue in our generation. And I know that there are many who are listening to this and you know you've messed up. You've just not applied God's word. You've, you've followed the, the crowd. You've followed Hollywood. You've followed the ideas, the modern ideas of our world. And you're wondering, is it too late for me? And I want to say this. The beautiful thing about God is that his word is here to give us hope. His word is never here to condemn us and leave us in the dark. It's always here to give us a new chance. He's a God of a second chance. And he's here to restore. And so I want to just give you a few thoughts of things you can start to do to begin to restore your relationship with him, to restore your relationship with your other half if you're married, to restore yourself in a way that you will be ready for the spouse that God has prepared for you. Uh, number one, step number one, it's confession. Begin by confessing that you've misused your sexuality. Begin by confessing that in doing so, you've hurt yourself, you've hurt others, you've attracted death into your life. There's a grace and forgiveness that God gives, but he says, if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just. First John chapter, first, chapter 1 uh, of First John, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to restore us to all, from all unrighteousness. So God is able to give you a, a, a new slate, but it begins with you confessing because there's grace and honesty when you say, I'm the one who did it. You know, the opposite of confession is to cover it up and pretend nothing happened. But confession is when you say, God, it's me. I'm sorry that I've done this. I've hurt you. I've hurt myself. So begin with confession. Step number two, do what it takes to move out of your situation. That's what the Bible calls repentance. Move out of your situation. If you need to move out of that house, do it. If you need to get out of that relationship, do it. Don't wait for next year. Do it. Trust God. I know that things might be difficult for you financially if you make that decision. But you know, we, we don't obey when we know how things will work out. We obey because God has asked us to, and we trust Him. I believe God will look after you, but you have to make that choice. If it means that you go and, 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 and just 
give away your, your phone right now, whatever it takes, the thing that's holding you back, you need to figure out. Maybe some of you need to trade in that, that smartphone and get a, I don't know what you call it in your country. In Kenya, we call it a kabambe. <laughs> you know that phone that doesn't have pictures in it because you, 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 it, it, your phone is the portal to your addictions. Then do what it takes to move away from the action. Repentance means I was walking in this direction and I change direction and I go in this direction. 180 degrees, I do what it takes to move out of my situation. There's an action that you must take. Number three is get help. Get help. You know, if you're struggling with an addiction, see a counselor, see your pastor, because you need someone to help you. Sometimes we think, I just need, I can, I can do it. I'm just going to stop. But you know what? You build patterns into your life. Some of those are spiritual patterns. Some of them are strongholds. And you've built those patterns. And you, you don't want to put yourself in a place where bondage will keep you. You know what happens when you get into that sin, confess, sin cycle? Is that you just feel like you're low, you go lower and lower and the devil wants you to keep it a secret. So here's the thing you want to do is just get help. Confess it to somebody, uh, somebody you trust. Say, I need help. And here's the thing, there is help. There is help if you will look for it. And then uh, number, three, number four, set boundaries around your sexuality. Set boundaries around your sexuality. Just ask God to show you how to, con to, to get out of those situations. They're, those, they're things we call triggers. They're the situations that put you in that place. They're those people, this young man, his trigger was he would just get into a place where he's got the feelings and then he would start prowling around, looking for somebody to hook up with. You know what your triggers are. Some of you, it's your loneliness or your boredom or whatever it is. And then you need to understand to ask God to help you replace those triggers with something healthy. And so some of you, it needs to be prayer. Replace the trigger with prayer. Uh, get into spaces that will help you renew your mind so that you stop being led into the things. Uh, you stop entering into the situations that led you into the situation that you've been in. Now, I want to just conclude in prayer. I know that there are some people here who are hearing this message, and for the first time you've realized, my goodness, I need God in my life. I cannot do this without Him. And I'm going to be praying for us in a second. There's also somebody here who's saying, you know what, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I understand now how much I need Jesus. My goodness, the world has such a warped way of doing things. I've tried to do it my way, but I realize now I must do it God's way. And if you're here, I want to just pray for you real quick. If you know that you'd like to give your life to Jesus, maybe you knew Him before, but you walked away from Him, and you'd like to ask Him into your life, I want you to just pray these words with me. Just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus... I come to you today to give you my life. Come into my life. Forgive my sin and purify me. Lead me, Lord, because I can't lead myself. From this day forward, I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To God be the glory for you. If you've prayed that prayer, we're so excited for you. Write us, uh, info at mavunochurch.org. Uh, just send an email to me. I'd be very happy to respond and send you some information to help you take the next step. Listen, we're a family that loves, I mean, we love having, just understanding that we are all people on a mission. We're broken and we love it when other broken people understand how much they need God. Come and join this family and we can walk together as real people with real issues seeking that real God. And so write us, uh, send us an email and we'd love to just send you some information, help you to plug in, help you to begin to grow into the life of freedom that God created you for. And even as I pray for you and I thank God for you, I want to pray for everybody else watching this. Father, I thank you for all your children. I thank you that Lord Jesus, you've called us to be different from the rest of the world. Throughout this whole series, Lord, that's what we've been learning, that the, the world has standards. 
But those standards are so damaging. And many times when we follow them mindlessly, we become damaged. We become just like everybody else. But Lord Jesus, you've set our eyes up as you're asking us to look at these relation slips and to choose to walk in relationships healthy relationships with one another i pray that father god you would help us i pray lord that you would raise up a generation of people who walk in purity i pray for single people who will make a commitment and say that i will save myself i will not engage sexually outside the bond of marriage i will not be like the rest of the world that considers this normal behavior i will walk in purity i pray for married couples who will make a commitment that it doesn't matter how much i how badly our marriage is doing i will never seek solace outside my marriage that this is what god gave gave me and i will walk in purity because i believe and i trust that god is able to look after me and so father god God, I just pray for your people that as they make this prayer, as we make this prayer, that Lord, we will become a, a, a healthy community, a community marked by healthy relationships. And as people come into our churches, as they come into our homes, they will say, my goodness, this is what it means when God dwells among our people. And so I bless you, God's people. My goodness, God is so good. He is so faithful. He has such good things ahead for us. I bless you as you go out into this week. I bless you as you represent him in this world. And I can't wait to see you next week as we dive into our new series. God bless and have a wonderful week. Amen. Amen.